Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the covenant that uh, Moses made with the Lord. And in that covenant, there was blood everywhere, if you remember that. Hundreds of thousands of animals were killed every year. And I, I mentioned to you guys that sometimes these priests were wading in blood up to their knees. I mean, it was blood everywhere. But the blood of bulls and goats was not enough. In fact, Hebrews 10, 4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, they, the blood of bulls and goats could atone for sins or cover the sin, but it couldn't take them away. There's a big difference between taking away and covering them. So um, only one man's blood could actually take away the sins of the world, and that blood belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. And that blood belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you. All right. It's your, it's your Savior hero we're talking about. Amen. So after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, many Jewish people believed in the Messiah. Many priests, it talks about in the book of Acts, were converted to Christianity, but many were not converted. So the, Levi, the Levitical priests that did not believe, they still continued to offer these bulls and goats and lambs as sacrifices in the temple Day after day, morning after morning, year after year, they still continued to offer these sacrifices uh, when they would not take away the sins of the world. They didn't discern that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, so they continued to offer these same sacrifices. So they were waiting for the Messiah, and they didn't recognize the Messiah had already come. And uh, that was really sad for them. So I want to share with you a story about the Day of Atonement before Jesus' uh, resurrection. According to tradition... Goats were brought before the high priest, and golden lots were cast with inscriptions on them. One for Adonai, means the Lord, and the, and the other was marked for Azeel, which is Satan. In Leviticus 16.10, we'll have that on the screen for you. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azeel, or removal, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over him, that he may go, be let go into the wilderness for Azeel, or for dismissal. So... The, the lot which fell on Adonai was immediately sacrificed for the sins of the people. The one that fell on Azeel was marked uh, and sent out into the wilderness to die, but it was uh, marked with a scarlet red strip around its horns. If you could show that picture for me, Aaron. You see the, the priest putting this red uh, cotton um, material around this goat's horns. So uh, at this point, the, the high priest would lay his hands on the goat Symbolically, symbolically imparting the sins of all of Israel into this goat that was going to go out into the wilderness and be killed eventually. Uh, this is where the term scapegoat came from. You've probably heard the term scapegoat, and it means one chosen to accept blame for other people. So over the years, they started having problems with these goats wandering into neighborhood towns and villages. And when they saw this goat wandering in with this red scarlet thing tied around its head, they were freaked out. Oh, man, maybe this is an omen. Maybe this is like God's telling us we're cursed. And they were, they were scared and terrified. So the rabbis came up with a new practice. They stopped descending into the wilderness. They came up with a new practice. And instead, they started taking the goats to the edge of this cliff. And they pushed the, the, the goat over the cliff backwards, off the edge of this cliff. It makes me think of uh, Luke 4.29. It says, They got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. Talking about Jesus. Now, do you guys remember um, what town that was in Luke 4? It was his hometown. He was in Nazareth. His hometown where he grew up as a little boy, 
playing with their, playing with those people's kids and, and some, probably some cousins there and stuff. In that town, when he he talked about the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and all this stuff, he told them that uh, uh, there was many that were widows in the time when he went out to when Elijah went out here, and there was many that were lepers when Elijah went and did this, and they were really offended because they said, "Why didn't God heal heal them? Why didn't they do that?" And they took him to the edge of the cliff to kill him. Well, let me show you this next picture. So here's a picture of the, the, the high priest throwing this goat now over this cliff. Now, before the... <laughs> keep, keep looking at Anna. <laughs> facial thing again. All right. Uh, yes, the goat would die. So, um, but before they threw the goat over the cliff, they would take part of that scarlet uh, uh, red wool off of the antlers of the, the horns of the goat, and the, and the priest would hold it. And according to ancient, ancient literature, as that goat fell to the ground that material changed in the high priest's hand from red to white. Is that not amazing? And it made me think of the verse in uh, Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So as the, priest, as the high priest saw this change in his hand, it gave them confidence that their sins were covered again for another whole year. Okay? But amazingly, again, according to Jewish literature, records show that after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, as the high priest went up to push the goat off the cliff, he's holding the scarlet in his hand. It remained scarlet from that time after. It did not change to white ever again after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Yet they still kept doing it. They still kept the goat every year. They still kept killing the lambs every year. They didn't realize they, had, they were confused. Why, why is this not happening anymore? They still could not discern that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Now, scholars believe that Jesus died somewhere around 30 to 36 A.D., and we know the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So for 34 to 40 years after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, these sacrifices continued in the temple. Uh, once, sorry, once the temple was destroyed, they were, they were discontinued. So there were no more sacrifices made. This was really strange for the people. For all their, most, all their lives, they had gone annually for these sacrifices. They had killed these lambs and goats. And all of a sudden now, the temple is destroyed, and there was no, no more sacrifices for sins. There was no more lambs and goats and things being killed. The temple was no more, so the sacrifices stopped. So where would their hope now rest? Their hope rested on those lambs and that blood, the, the scarlet changing from red to white. Their hope rested on these, these outward signs of things, and they had no idea what, what God was trying to tell them. So the sacrifices stopped in 70 A.D., but the blood covenants did not stop. Okay? Now, uh, Dr. Clay Trumbull, some of you have heard this before, a previous editor of the Sunday School Times, showed that a blood covenant has been practiced by all primitive peoples, very similar to the Lord's table from time immemorable. He also showed that the blood covenant was the basis of all primitive religions. Dr. Trumbull provided data from all parts of the world showing that even to this day, which was 1903, in Africa, India, China, and the islands of the seas, men are practicing a blood covenant very similar to the Lord's table. So the sacrifices stopped, but these blood covenants still continued. Sir Henry Morton Stanley was an explorer famous for his exploration of Africa and his search for Dr. David Livingston. He said that he, cut the, that he cut the covenant more than 50 times with different tribes. 
Wow, 50 times. And David Livingston also cut the covenant many times. So this is in the covenant between God and man. This is the covenant between man and man. Okay? Now, three reasons people would cut the covenant. A weaker tribe would cut the covenant with a stronger tribe for protection. If two businessmen were going into partnership, they would make a covenant together because if someone was to break the covenant, they would be killed. So that was, strong, that was a pretty strong bond. You know you could trust them if that, it was life or death here. And if two men loved each other or women, they were devoted to each other like David and Jonathan, they could cut a covenant of friendship uh, for, the, uh, for the Lord's sake, for love's sake. The practice of cutting the covenant by native tribes of Africa, by Arabs and Syrians and Balkans, looks something like this. Two men would come together with friends and a priest. Uh, first, the two would exchange gifts, symbolizing everything that I have now belongs to you. Everything you have now belongs to me. Kind of like a wedding. After a, a real wedding, we'll say. Okay, not a prenuptial wedding thing, but a real wedding. After the gift exchange, the priest would bring a cup of wine. The wine would then be stirred, and the blood from both parties would mixed into the wine. Yeah, I know, it's kind of gross. And uh, then the men would drink it. The priests would uh, pronounce the most awful curses if, the, if this covenant was ever broken. And then they would touch wrists together, the two men, or they would lick the other one's wound, wounds. So they didn't know much about HIV, AIDS, and that kind of blood transfer, <laughs> transfer diseases and stuff back then. And, uh, and God protected them anyway, praise God. So um, they were now blood brothers, this vilest of enemies, people that hated and despised each other. Once they came into a covenant, were now trusted friends. Bygones were bygones. It didn't matter if it was the Hatfields, McCoy type of thing. If they made a covenant, it was over. The feud was over. I don't want to hear about it. No, there's a covenant now. We don't want to talk about that anymore. So Dr. Stanley and Dr. Livingston said they had never seen the covenant broken in all their life. If In Africa, if one was to break the covenant, he would be handed over to the avenger by his closest living relative to be put to death. So even a mother, if her son broke the covenant... It was her responsibility to take her son to the other party, show, him, show them that he broke the covenant, and her son would be put to death. That's how serious they took covenant, okay? And this blood covenant was so sacred, it was honored to the third and fourth generation. That sounds like, you know, Deuteronomy. You know, the sins of the fathers being carried over the third and fourth generation. So uh, on one occasion, Mr. Stanley was searching for Dr. Livingston. He ran into a very strong and violent tribe. They kept stealing his stuff. Some of his men were getting injured. And one of his translators said, why don't you just cut covenant with this tribe? He's like, well, what does that mean? This is one of the, this first time he, he cut covenant. And uh, he goes, what does that mean? And he said, well, basically, everything you have will become his, and everything he has will become yours. So that sounded pretty good to him. <laughs> and uh, so the, he met with the chieftain and talked to him about having this covenant. And then after several days of negotiations of this is this will be this is this way this will look that way, after several days of that they met together and uh, they were exchanging gifts. So the chieftain wanted Mr. Stanley's new little white goat, and uh, and Mr. and then he gave Mr. Stanley a seven foot copper wound spear. He thought this is not a fair trade. He he liked that goat one because he he needed the goat milk. And uh, he didn't have any use for a copper spear. But later he found that came in handy as he was going through the jungles of Africa. And he had this spear with him. People actually would bow down to him and would let him pass through without touching him because they, they already knew the chieftain. They, maybe they were in covenant with him too. I don't know. So um, the chieftain had a prince represent him in this ceremony. And Mr. Stanley had a man from England represent him. Remember representatives, how Jesus is our representative. Moses represented all of Israel. 
The priest then cut, brought the cup of wine. The men cut their wrists, and the blood dripped into the cup. The wine was stirred, and each man drank half. The priest pronounced curses if the covenant was ever broken. Next, they rubbed their wrists together, and they were now blood brothers. These two men were only substitutes, but they had bound the chieftain and Mr. Stanley into a blood covenant that was indissolvable. It was, there was no way to break this covenant. A few hours before, Mr. Stanley had to have men guarding his supplies and guarding all of his stuff. Now he could leave it out in the open because they had this covenant. They were now trusted friends. And anyone who bothered Mr. Stanley, you bothered him, you were bothering all the chieftain and all of his tribes. You better, you might as well say you're going to be put to death. So my question is, my thought is, who taught these primitive tribes, these you know, third world places, who taught these primitive tribes about making covenants? Somebody taught them. And uh, I'm guessing it was passed down word of mouth, uh, person after person, year after year. We know that God made covenants with Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and of course Jesus. We know that. But also the Bible is filled with stories where man made covenants with other men. Okay? So uh, I'm going to share with you some of these. I guess my thought is, my question is from this is, is man and man covenants a man-made idea or is it a God idea? And honestly, when I'm presenting this to you today as a New Testament believer, I'm not going to tell you I know the answer to this. I, I mean, I, I know the answer as far as marriage goes. That's pretty obvious. It's till death do us part. All right? God wants you to be married, and it's not, it's, he doesn't want us to divorce. I know it does happen, and there are biblical reasons where that's allowed, but that's not God's heart. That's not God's goal. It's covenant because the covenant of marriage represents the covenant between God and man, between God and Jesus. And so it doesn't represent it well when there's divorce. So um, probably the most famous covenant between man and man in the Bible is the covenant that David made with Jonathan. Right? We all know this in First Samuel 18, 3 and 4. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe that was on him gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And then 1 Samuel 20, 14. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. Know not when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies, any one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require at, at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So here's these two covenants that Jonathan and David made together as close friends. And Jonathan even honored this covenant over the relationship he had with his father. You know, Saul was wanting to kill David. Jonathan was protecting David from being killed. You know, the saying, blood is thicker than water, I've always understood that to mean that family is closer than friends. But in my research, what I found out, it's the blood covenant is thicker than water. That the blood covenant even goes deeper than your own family. In this situation, like with Jonathan and his father. Even after Jonathan's death, David honored that covenant by finding Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and bringing him into his house and feeding him and providing for him. Jonathan was gone. No one, it doesn't say anyone knew they made this covenant or not. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But he still honored it because he made it. And David also protected Mephibosheth's life when the Gibeonites sought restitution for Saul breaking the covenant by killing their men. Remember, he had to give seven 
of, their, of King Saul's men, he protected Mephibosheth because he had a covenant with Jonathan to protect him, and he protected his life. Um, these aren't these just words. These, are, these vows mean something. Even if it costs them their very own lives, if they spoke it, if they said it, if blood has been spilt, they were going to do everything in their power to honor the covenant that they made. Today, we don't have much of a grasp for that kind of thing. Well, you know, I'm tired. Uh, I don't want to do it. Uh, I, I don't love them anymore. Uh, well, I fell out of love. I fell into love like I chipped over a rock or something. Or uh, now I fell out of love because I chipped over a different rock or something. And, and uh, our words are supposed to mean something. Amen. Our words are supposed to be our bond. And if we can't believe what we say ourselves, how can we believe what God says? And if you're not going to believe what you say and honor what you say, why would we think God's going to honor what he says? Now, I know he will anyway, probably in some cases, because he's just a lot better than us. <laughs> but I'm telling you, there's something about honoring our words, even when it hurts, even when, it, 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 even when it's challenging. Uh, I already mentioned a few weeks ago how when Joshua made this covenant with the Gibeonites, and they pretend to be from this far-off distant land, and they brought this moldy bread and old shoes and stuff. They made this covenant. But Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord if he should make this covenant or not. Guys, that's a major mistake that he made there. And the reason the Gibeonites wanted to cut this covenant with Israel is because they knew what they did to these other countries. They knew how they destroyed these other people. But plus, these other kingdoms were trying to come at, come at them and kill them. In fact, right after this covenant was cut, five kings joined together to attack Gibeon. I think they probably heard rumor about that. We need to trick these guys to help defend us. So the very next, this happened in, in Joshua chapter 9 where they made the covenant. But Joshua chapter 10, here's what happened. Now, I, I think the men would have heard that Joshua made this covenant with Gibeon. I think they would have heard that he didn't inquire of the Lord. And I think because it says three days later they found out that, he, that they were lying. So he was the leader of this whole nation. And yet... He had missed it. He had signed this covenant with, when God already said, don't sign any covenants with your neighbors. He had missed it, yet they still followed him, even into war. Joshua 10.9. After an all-night march to Gilgal. Let's just think about that for a minute, okay? These men were in relationship with Joshua. Joshua made the poor decision. Joshua didn't ask God. Okay, yet all these men, look at what it cost them. Just right off the start, they had to walk all night long, carrying armor and swords and helmets and who knows what, bows and arrows, who knows what else they had. And because he was their leader, because of a covenant, because of some reason, they were going to march with him no matter what mistakes he made. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here totally. <laughs> uh, but I'm wondering in my heart, is God wanting that in relationships today? Not just marriage, but in friendships. You know, this region is quite known for fighting, for bitterness, for unforgiveness, for church splits. They say, if you don't like your church, wait another six months, it will split and it will change, and you can either stay there or go the one down the road. You probably heard that, or six months or nine months or something. And there's some truth in it, and I'm sure it happens all over the place. But guys, what if God still wants us to make covenant friendships today? That no matter what, you're going to stay faithful to your friends. Yeah. 
to your leaders, to your whatever. Now, I know there's exceptions to things, and there is in the Bible, too. There's exceptions to where Paul had to discipline somebody for what he did. He kicked him out of the church for a season. He was brought back. There are exceptions, but what, what if God wants to be in covenant with people and not just leave because someone changed the color of the carpet or something or painted the walls a color you didn't like or something like that? Okay? So after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So, again, Joshua made the covenant. God honored the covenant. I think because man honored the covenant, God honored the covenant. Took, uh, threw them into confusion. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel, Israel pursued them along the road going from Beth Horon and, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. And they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. The Lord, this is really crazy, guys. Look at this. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than from, they were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Now, there's a weird story, right? I bet you got up there going, <laughs> those water balloons, but I guess it was hailstones. <laughs> He's throwing the, I mean, it's, that's a crazy story. More died from the hailstones than died from their swords. Okay, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon. Now that's not S-O-N. Okay, that's S-U-N. And you moon over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stopped, stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself of its enemies, as is written in the book of Jazar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. There was never before a day like it, before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Amen. Now, did you know that story? I know you knew the story of the sun standing still in the moon, but did you know it? It was, was over the covenant that they made with Gibeon? It was over a covenant that was made under false pretenses, under lies and deceptions. Yet Joshua honored it, all his men honored it, and God himself honored that covenant. And he even honored it 400 years later, you remember, when Saul killed those Gibeonites, God honored it by telling David, hey, listen, you need to make this right. And uh, later we see in Nehemiah chapter 3, there were the Gibeonites helped return the favor somewhat by help rebuilding Jerusalem. Okay, so I guess my question is, does God desire for us to have covenant relationships with each other today. That no matter what, you know, one of the things that's good about family is I can say, because covenant is all about family. Every covenant that God made in the Bible was with, was with family members, was with families, okay? I can say at my house, I can walk in one day, good mood or not, and say to Micah, Jordan, Taylor, Lauren, Holly, and I could say, I could chew them out for something, I could say something the wrong way, man, clean your room, man, would you get on your, and I could just, I could be as harsh as I wanted to that day, if I was too harsh, could back later and apologize, and guess what, I'm still their dad, and I'm still her husband, and you know what, they might get offended for a little bit, but that's dad, that's just how dad is, or that's whatever, and we'll talk it out, we'll work it out, we're still family, but in the church sometimes, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the church in general, we're doing well, we really are, I love our Church, as far as I know, we don't have any family feuds going on. If you do, be mature and take care of them, right? Like the Bible says, you go to them, right? So uh, if you need help, we'll help you. But what if, if a pastor could speak to you that way, even with the wrong tone one day, then maybe come back to, you know what, I was a little too harsh with you there. I 
didn't get enough sleep or whatever, you know, whatever. And you are gracious enough to receive that forgiveness and not go away offended and shutting off your spiritual life because my pastor was mean to me. Now, I know there's exceptions. Or I just was living my little fairyland for a few minutes here, okay? Where, where my imaginary spot. But what, what if pastors in our area had discernment over your life that you don't have? You remember God calls the pastor the shepherd or overseer of your soul. Now, calls him, of course, the chief shepherd or the great shepherd, but he still calls pastors the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. What if they see something in your life, or pastors in general do, but they're too afraid to tell you because if they tell you, you'll be offended and leave. So then you have to live with this stuff your, your whole life where you could have gotten taken care of in 1990-whatever, but the pastor's either going to say it or he's going to hold his tongue because he's afraid that if he says it, you'll be offended and not come back. But what if church was done inside the realm of covenants? That even with pastor Stephen, there's nothing special about a pastor. There's nothing more special about a pastor than you guys. It's the body of Christ. You're just one member of the body that's chosen to function in a different way. They all struggle with the same stuff you do. They all have to fight the same spiritual war you do. They all have issues at home. They all have issues with their family members. They all have the, the same kind of stuff that you do. They're not chosen because of they're special. They're chosen because of God's calling. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. There's, that's the only reason. So if we don't have this in a church, will it really be healthy? Is it really love if I know something about you that isn't good? Is it really love for me to sit back and say, well, they'll figure it out. Praise God. God showed me. He's going to show them. And he can do that, and he has done that, right? But what if? Now, I'm not, again, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular that I need to tell you off or tell you to go shovel the driveway or something or whatever. I'm just saying, I just, I couldn't help reading this and seeing Joshua and David and how much they, they honored the covenant with with the Gibeonites and Joshua, and how they risked their sons' lives. They risked men's lives. People probably died on Israel's side in that war against those five different kings. Yeah, they won the war, but usually in war, both people have casualties. And they were willing to risk their lives, even unto death, even their children's lives, to honor that covenant that Joshua made, even though they knew he screwed up, even though he knew he missed it. And I'm just wondering today, what would life look like that if you knew that even if you screwed up, that your family is going to have your back. The, the, the loyalty, the security there that you know God will, and sometimes you don't feel it, but you have that, that the blood brother, you have a covenant relationship with the family that even if you lose it, even if you blow your cool, even if you make a, I was going to say, arse yourself, <laughs> you make a fool of yourself, you do something, you know, we have our moments, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joey, for being honest. You heard that, Joan? <laughs> but when we do, right, that we have family to go to and say, you know what, I messed up, man. I should not have said that to you. I don't really mean it. I really don't even know why I said that. I guess I don't know if I'm tired or if I'm still upset because of what happened yesterday or our little dispute that we never really got closure on. I don't know if that carried over into this. And just talk it out like family. Amen? And I think that would honor God. And I think at the same time, God's not going to throw large hailstones down on it, but he might throw large hailstones down on our enemy, the real enemy, who's causing the fight, the division, spewing the negative stuff into our ear, like, they don't really love you, or you can't trust him, or he's doing this, or she's doing that, and all this kind of stuff that we hear. You do hear. If you think you don't hear, you, you're, you're silly, because he's the accuser of the brethren. 
He's going to accuse you, not just to God, but to you. And when we entertain those thoughts, we, get in, we can get in bondage. But if you can work out your stuff, it says how beautiful it is when men and women, brothers and sisters, dwell together in unity, for there God commands the blessing. Commands it. God commands it. Amen? you imagine that? All, and, and God's wanting you to do is love somebody and work it out. Not get offended. If you do get offended, own it. Work it out internally and then go to the person. Talk to them just like he instructs us to do in the Gospels. Amen? And work it out. All right? So um, think of this story in 1 Samuel 22. It says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was disconnected, which means bitterness of soul, gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And this is David when he first got started with being a military leader. He had 400 men come to him, and uh, he's leading a volunteer army. I've said that in church sometimes. You know, it's hard to lead a volunteer army because I can't just say, you know what, do this already, you know, because they're like, see ya. I'm going to go to church where I can do nothing. I'm going to church where we can say, well, that's what we pay the pastor to do, and you can just, you know, whatever. And but here, he had, this is before he was king. He didn't have anything to pay these guys. He didn't have any way to make them stay under his command or under his whatever. He, and they were distressed and debt and discontented. And somehow he turned these guys into his mighty men of valor. Some of these guys, at least 30-something of these guys, became his mighty men of valor, that even one day he said, man, I'm thirsty. I just wish I could have some water from that awesome well in Bethlehem. Man, that would be so good right now. And he was just dreaming and talking. Three of his men broke through enemy lines, broke through that area was occupied by the Philistines, broke through, got water from that well, came back and gave it to him. He's like, what's this? He goes, it's water from Bethlehem. They risked their very own lives to get him a cup of water just because he was saying it in, in dreaming. He goes, I can't drink this. And he dumped it out on the ground. Imagine like, what? <laughs> we just, you know, like, we just risked everything for this. And he goes, I'm going to pour it out to the Lord. He gave an offering to the Lord. This is before he was king. Guys, well, why would they do this? The only thing I could come up with is they must have made some kind of a covenant. They were in debt. They were distressed. They were discontented, bitterness of soul. And somehow being around David long enough in a covenant they made with him, they were willing to risk their lives to even honor a little simple request like, man, I wish I had some water from that well. So guys, this is something I want you to think about and pray about. I'm not asking you to cut your wrists or lick my wrist or me lick your wrist and or we put in wine cups and drink it and stuff. No, this, the communion table is our communion table. We don't need to have a primitive reenactment of anything like that. But at the same time, those, that's in the Word of God. God intentionally kept those covenants in the Bible. And this is something I want you to think about and pray about and imagine. Does God want you to have covenant with somebody? Now, if you are married, you are in covenant right now. It is coveted. And you need to understand covenant, study covenant. Whatever they need is your, whatever they have, vice versa, is yours. It's till death do us part. If it's not working, you need to get some work done to it. But, there's, but, but you need to make it work somehow if you can. And again, sometimes it's not possible. But I don't think, that, that, that I don't think our divorce rates in church should be that close to what it is in the world. I've seen 26 to 38 percent, depending on what stats you look at. And I think it should be a lot less if we honored our vows if we honored our covenants, if we wouldn't say it, if we don't mean it. But if we say it, once we said it, it's out. I don't know. So I'm not trying to get all legalistic on this. I don't mean that. But I just wonder, 
if we honor our words, if we honor our covenant, and we take it seriously, would God take it seriously too? Like he did in there? I'm kind of thinking he would. I heard a story this week where this guy went to uh, pray for someone to get resurrected from the dead. And uh, I'll close with this. And he, had, he felt like he had enough faith. person was younger. He thought, you know, he was ready to do this. He brought a team with him. They traveled, I think it was like six hours to get there. And they were, they were stirred up. They prayed in the spirit. They read verses. They were all ready to go. And they prayed for that kid and prayed for that kid. And the guy remained dead. And uh, fortunately and awesome for us, like when it ends that way, well, it's not like it's a consolation prize. They're in heaven, right? If they know Jesus and this, this guy did. So, but it is still sad for those left behind that didn't see the miracle. So he's praying about this later. He went on a fast like, God, why did I not see this guy resurrected from the dead? And he said, God spoke to him. And this is not the case in every situation or even with you. But in this for him, he said, you can't command uh, something to re- respond to something that you're in agreement with. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you love death. You glorify death in all the movies you watch, the video games that you play. You love death and killing, and you love it when the bad guy gets vengeance. And you love it when all this stuff, because you love death. He goes, but how can you command life to come back when you love death so much? Now, again, this is not going to supersede over everybody. I'm not telling you to stop watching your fighting war movies or whatever. That's between you and God. But he was talking about this, you are in agreement with this, but you are praying with that. And God doesn't separate us the way the government tries to do a search and state stuff. We are one person, and it's not compartmentalized when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. And so if God's speaking to you about something to give up, sometimes he might have a real reason for giving that up that you might not see till it's time for praying for someone to be resurrected or something else. All right? Okay, well, yeah, why don't you stand? I dug a big enough hole today, so I'll let God fill it. I never claimed to be normal. I just want to say that from the very beginning. I never claimed that. But you know what? You know what? I grew up in the church, and I had lots of friends I went to high school with and middle school with, and I saw them come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and I never saw them ever have breakthroughs. I never saw them have answers to their prayers. I never saw them get delivered. I never saw them. What I saw them do was fall off and uh, get drunk and party and get divorced and have kids that were all over the place. And they didn't have a real life. And they grew up in the church, the same place I did. And to me, I just, in my heart, it's burning for it's time to start, stop playing church and start going to war for our families. Start going to fighting in war. That we're going to walk all night long if I have to. But I'm going to fight this war. I'm going to help my friend. I'm going to battle and win. We're called to win. But we're not going to win by uh, just living however. It's going to be a fight. We're called to fight. But you're not called to fight alone, amen? Amen. So, um, yeah, let me pray for you guys. I want to invite you guys to come back tonight. It's going to be fun. Uh, Tyler's going to be speaking tonight. He's really anointed and just a fun guy. You'll enjoy him. And uh tell you, too, I'm postponing my Uganda trip until the fall, sometime in the fall. I, no one was able to come with me, so I'm going to postpone it, just so you guys know. But we're still going to dig the well uh, as soon as we can. So, God, I thank you for our family. And in family, we have we have weird people in family sometimes, God. We have arguments, there's fighting, 
there's misunderstandings, there's jealousy sometimes, there's all kinds of things in family. But God, we're still family. And God, if, if you are wanting to resurrect this thought of us being a covenant together, whatever that looks like, I don't know the terms, I don't know what it looks like, but God, if you are wanting that kind of relationship for us with each other, I just pray, God, you would confirm that. Show us that. Show us what it would look like. That we would truly be family. You are the father of us all, which makes us family. So I just pray, God, you would make it clear again what it would look like and how we can do it. I don't see this as a real problem in our church, but I do see it as something we can progress and grow into on another deeper level. So God, I bless your people today. I thank you for your presence and your word. And I thank you, you are going to reveal truth to us and continue to reveal truth to us because that's what you do. And I just bless your holy name. Amen.